With that, we continue to pick up here on the discipleship journey. And this discipleship journey, as you know, as we take each step here, uh, we're giving you sound, sound, sound principles to hold on to, to not only for your own life, for transformation of your own life, but also to teach others that God has brought in your life to, to train them and to disciple them up in their walk, especially if they're a brand new believer or someone who's been a believer for many years. Uh, these are very, very important principles, steps that you must take to heart and to uh, study and to learn. Tonight, we're going to talk about confronting self. It's a second part of this confronting you of your of yourself and dealing with the issues that self deals with the old nature the uh, the old man the old uh, uh, natural self that uh, that we must battle to make sure it doesn't rise back up as a believer rise back up to dominate your life and if it's something going on in your life it's time to learn how to deal with it and to re get that uh, uh, to to you know to surrender that to the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to transform your life uh, to not be identified in some of the things we'll be talking about this tonight, but also uh, next week as well. The scripture tonight that we're going to start off with is Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, and I'm going to read here verses 34 through 39, so certainly uh, follow along uh, as I read Matthew 10. As Christ is speaking here, uh, he speaks to the reality of what happens when you become a follower of Jesus Christ. There will be a, uh, a division that will happen from the old life to the new life. But because of that, it will cause even division among those in your life. In your, in, maybe it was in your inner circle or around your peripheral. It will cause some challenges because the way you will live your life according to God and to his way uh, will is so bright if you're doing it his way it'll be so bright it will cause uh, those who love darkness to not want to be around you and not want to you know dwell with you very well uh, if you're if that person's heart is not right with the Lord they will become bitter in some of these things that we will talk about but tonight we're going to talk about um, uh, self-belittlement, self-exaltation, self-pity. It's kind of that self-pendulum swing that we find people in when they first become, before they're believers, or even as believers, if they're not maturing and growing, they can get stuck in one of these, these swings that can cause some tr tremendous challenges for your life and but those around you as well. But let's talk about here Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. It says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me, Jesus says, is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me, he is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And you'll see that verse 39 is certainly a key verses for us as we study the word here tonight and capture some of these key understandings <clears throat> springing off those last six steps we talked about last week. And if you remember, self-belittlement is that 
um, is a mindset of undervaluing oneself. One is someone who is sitting there in that pendulum thing that says this. Some people say, I'm just being modest, but it's really an excessively modest view of yourself to bring attention to yourself. Most people say, oh, I'm so modest and I really don't want you to really think about this about me. I'm just, I'm, you know. But really, actually, what the studies show and the scriptures show is that they actually want more attention to themselves in this mode of self-belittlement. It's just this disparagement or this belittlement of oneself or self-deprivation sometimes it's referred to. or It means to just constantly looking and just belittling oneself in front of others and, and, and saying, I'm no good, I'm not very important, I'm, and just constantly portraying outwardly in word and actions this, this, this position they find themselves in, in, in self-belittlement. That is not healthy. That is not a place where the, a Christian uh, person should be. That is not, and we're going to talk about what's God's view versus man's view in regards to trying to explain someone who is finding themselves in this self-belittlement position and they are getting counseling for it and, uh, and what the worldly, uh, worldly counsel says versus what the scripture says. Self-exaltation is the complete opposite. It's where this one person self-exalts themselves in their own status or persuasion or, per, or position or importance among people. They come across very important, very prominent in position. Their status is much higher than and looks down upon everybody else in what they do or who they are personally. And then there's another one that we see in the scriptures very demonic and that is self-pity. Self-pity is this excessive self-absorbed unhappiness over one's own troubles. You have no idea what I'm dealing with. You have no idea what my circumstances are. And yes, it might be true. They might be some very serious circumstances and challenges and situations in your life. That is not what self-pity is. Self-pity is when you take those troubles, those hardships, those difficulties, those misfortunes, those... Um, sorrows that you're dealing with and they become a self-indulgent dwelling and you can do, do nothing but dwell on how bad your life and situation is. That is someone who is self-pity and that's just demonic forces is, uh, is influencing into your life here and that is not what a Christian should be living like. Self-pity is this emotion that's directed toward others with the goal of attracting attention and empathy or just a simple, no one wants to help me. No one has empathy toward me. And you'll find these people who will say that are really, are, you're seeing glimpses of someone who actually is living in that self-pity mode and they will come against you so vehemently because you don't show the level of empathy that they want or the level of help that they expect or the level of you're not in the sorrows in the ditch in the darkness with them. And they'll use all kinds of scriptures to justify it. But again, these are just some of the things we will identify of those who might be in self-belittlement tonight or self-exaltation or self-pity. I pray the scripture, the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart and give you a way out and show you the way out or to move forward not to be into those, uh, those uh, self-oriented positions that are not, um, not Christ-like. Remember, self-belittlement and self-exaltation and self-pity all indicate something very simple. A preoccupation with self. 
you're thinking way too much about yourself. And that scripture, and I've said it many times from this pulpit, the more you think about yourself, the more miserable you will become. And what I mean by that, you will see here tonight, is self-belittlement, self-exaltation, or self-pity. This inordinated type of attention to self is, a, uh, is absolutely an exact opposite of what God's commandments are for you and I as a believer. We are to love him and love others. That is the focus of our life as a Christian. We are to love God and love others. And a self-focus also prohibits, let me say it again, it prohibits you in your development and maturity of a Christ-like servant attitude. It will hinder you from being able to serve God with the simplicity of a servanthood attitude and toward him and, and others. And if you try to save your life by focusing on yourself like the world tells you to do, you will reap absolute certain consequences for being self-imploding. You'll be self-imploding because you'll be so self-focused in regards to your life. Instead of saving your life, you actually will lose it. And again, we, we read here in uh, Matthew 10, verses 34 through 39. But also in Matthew 10, 39, uh, or should I say 10, uh, Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, it says, Jesus said to him, You shall love your, the, the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And again, as a Christian, if we want to get after the self, then you're to focus on others. You're focusing on the Lord and focusing on how you can uh, serve or bless others around you in your life and not to be caught into the dwelling of yourself and, and, and starting to spiral out of control because you're so focused on self in your circumstances. Luke 9 verses 23 and through 25 says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. You notice that. Not to love yourself, but deny yourself. And take up his, his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his, his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and in himself destroyed or lost? I mean, he just becomes to a point where he's just so out of control over self that nothing and everyone else who competes against what he wants or she wants in his life will become a, uh, a divisional type thing that will take place in, in between, as we read in the scriptures in Matthew 10. There'll be a division within the, even the family because one is so self-focused on something. It can happen in your family, it can happen in the church family, it can happen in the neighborhood, it can happen in a, in a country as we see things playing out. There's division. Why? Because people are very strong in their opinions of what is right and versus what is wrong. That is for sure. But what is man's view on these three subjects? The man's view is the wisdom of this world teaches that many of your problems stem from a bad self-image. That's what the world teaches. That's what they proclaim. They call it the low self-esteem, and that's your problem. You need counseling, and let us help you do some things that you can help you to get your self-esteem higher in regards to that. And that natural man's wisdom also states that you must learn to love yourself before you can love others. That's another fallacy of something that is taught in the worldly wisdom and man's wisdom is that you must love yourself before you can love anyone else. 
Show me in the scriptures, my brothers and sisters. Show me in the scriptures. We will not find that. And we will cover that tonight on some of the scriptures to help you with that. But not only the fact that you need to learn to love yourself before you can love others, but you must raise your self-esteem. That your perceived needs must be met first before you can help others. That you must forgive yourself before you can find peace. And that you are infinite worthy of this self-focus because of the God within you that is taught in many circles. You have God within you. You are so self-worth is so high and so valuable and so perfect and so this and that. That you must get in touch with yourself and your feelings before finding fulfillment in living. You must find that fulfillment. And so focus on yourself. Completely disregarding in many respects the fact that you're putting the fact that self first versus others or God first. And so it's important that we don't flip those around as the world flips these things around and causes the problems that you find. But all of these views are errors in according to the word of God. They're heirs. It's not truth. And they conflict with the truth of God's word. So let me give you some of the things I've jotted down that you might have over, and you can obviously add to this probably. But man's mistake of explaining this poor self-esteem. And these are just some of the things you obviously heard and know, and that's they grew up in a poor surroundings. They live in very poor surroundings, and that's why they have such a poor self-esteem. Or they, they're not getting fulfillment in their work environment. Or they lost their job and that is why they have such a low self-esteem. Or physical handicaps. Or they've been rejected by their parents. Or they've been re, uh, the lack of money. That's why they have such poor self-esteem. Or um, they don't have enough education. They're very undereducated. That's why they're poor self-esteem. They have no respect from others. They don't have the ability to communicate. And that's why if they learn how to communicate better, then they would have better self-esteem. Or, uh, they're misunderstood by, by people because of their culture, their background, or their language. or All of these things um, can really, really hinder someone in understanding what really poor self-esteem is, is stems from. And uh, many will say, you don't understand, Pastor, I was abused as a child. That's why I have it. I have a nagging spouse. That's why it's always on me. I have poor relations, no job opportunities, slow to learn. It goes on and on and on and on of justification of in their, their emotions and their feelings. But that's man's view. That's excuses to understand why they're in the position they're in of one of those three, self-belittlement, self-exaltation, or self-pity. One of those you find. You probably, all of us, have said something like this at some point in our relationship before God or even after coming to Christ and being born again. And before you started maturing, you started to use these excuses of why you have to focus on self. But... Some of man's uh, futile ways of uh, building up their self-esteem, and it's like, this is what I must do to deal with the issues that I'm dealing with in my low self-esteem. So you must accept me as I am. And then our problem, you must come into this counseling, and you're taught you must accept yourself as you are. You could be going, living completely 
opposite of the word of God. But in many circles, even church circles, will tell you you must accept yourself as you are. But you're living completely contrary to the word of God. But you're supposed to accept yourself as you are. In exactly where you're at. You're you're, you're just fine. That doesn't help people to grow and mature. Some said man's views is that you want to deal with people who are coming against you and causing you to have low self-esteem. You just have to get mad. Don't get mad, just get even. Just get even. That will help you feel better. If you feel like it, just do it. Just do it. Whatever makes you feel better, get your self-esteem, just do it. Learn to love yourself. Discover the God within you. Forgive yourself. Get in touch with yourself. Pursue self-actualization. Assert yourself. Tell of your accomplishments. Have a love me wall. Be your own person. Blame shift it. It's everyone else's problem. It's the government's problem. It's your parents' problem. It's your name someone, but not you. But name someone. And then the newest, and it's been around for many, but you need to practice self visualization. You must practice visualizations. Practice and meditate on what you can become and how you can do this and get stronger and and build that inner self-esteem up. It's all about what you can do. You, 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 you. That's man's ways of trying to deal with this. Now let me tell you some of the more specific things that I think I see from a scriptural perspective that are unbiblical viewpoints about self being taught actually in some churches today. I'll give you these. You have to love yourself before loving others. And that is one of the key things that you see in the scriptures today. But it goes ignores the scriptures of John 15 verses 12 and 13. And 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 and 8. Com- completely ignores those scriptures. How about you, you are created in God's image which makes you inherently worthy of God's grace and an infinite value in his sight. Of course he picked you. <laughs> of course you're, you're worth it. Of course God's going to pick you. You're the best of the best. You just need to think that way from now on. But it goes it completely ignores the scriptures that we say, like Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated his own love toward us that in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God actually sent his son to die for you in your most wicked state and you say you were worthy of it? No. It's because of his grace and mercy. That's why he came to save you. But the churches are teaching now, of course God is going to create this incredible thing into you because you're inherently worthy of God's grace. No, we were not worthy of God's grace. You see how the subtle twist of that and what can be taught so easily in a church today? You can go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. It's also the same point. Somehow we were worthy, and of course God's going to do this. That's not, that's not scriptural. How about the next one? Without God, I'm sorry, without good self-esteem, you cannot solve problems, relate to others effectively, and grow spiritually. Why you have problems within, with the relationships within the church? It's because there's a low self-esteem issue. No. It goes, it goes against 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses uh, 5 and 6. 2 Corinthians 
chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the, uh, of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So we know right there, right up the, it's not about self-esteem that causes the problems. Why? Because God is right there and we're not sufficient in any form or fashion apart from God. We need his help to be able to do these things. James 4, 6. Philippians 4, 13. These are scriptures you can go back and you'll see that churches that are teaching anything in that respect is going and ignoring these scriptures. Next is the most serious sin in the world is the one in which a person says he is unworthy. The need for self-worth is the greatest of all human needs in the world today. That's what is taught in some churches today. But what does Jeremiah say? Jeremiah 9, verse 23 through 24 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the, I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord. So when we take a look at the scriptures and we talk about this, this, this self-worth and everything else, who gives us worth? Ourselves? This world? No. Your self-worth is in God, in that relationship with God. That's what is most important. No one who's rich and mighty and, and has and wisdom and smart and all that, they're not to, to glory in their own abilities. Where do you think they got those abilities? God gave them those abilities. He's the one that created them. How many times do people forget who created them? And so many times when you have those, those strengths that you can put on your resume become something that actually is a detriment to you if you don't understand where they come from and why you still even have them is because God has given those to you. Go back and look at Luke 17.10 as well. The next thing that was, is taught in churches, in order to accomplish anything of significance, you must now have this positive thinking about oneself is an absolute necessity and you must practice positive thinking. And again, it goes ignores John 15. 4 and 5, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do what? Nothing. <laughs> so, so to think that we can do anything apart from God that has any value or fruitfulness of eternal value in anything, we must understand that it's not based on your positive thing. Now, don't get me wrong. You, I don't think you should go around thinking negatively. 
But positive thinking and reinforcing that whole movement out there in the church about positive thinking and, and your neurons and how it's repaving and these neurons and pathways in the brain and all things and scientific proofs and all that stuff. Got that. I hear that. But what the scripture says that our significance and our value and what we're bearing fruit can only come from that relationship that we have with God and so we must understand that as a believer, we must continue to seek after him and ask for his wisdom, his strength, his abilities. And those are the things that we trust in, not in oneself of positive thinking. Another one is, we should not talk of sin or hell or eternal uh, separation um, from God. We should only build up people. So many churches do not say the word sin. They don't say the word hell or sinner or eternal separation. These things are never talked about. We must, in their mindset in some churches, is to build up people as a social gathering and social engineering of the minds. And let's pump them up to make them feel really good about themselves because they need higher self-esteem because they got a low self-esteem problem. And that's why they're not able to serve God and, and do what God wants them to do and get out of the situations of drug and alcohol and, and all the sins that they're justifying it's okay for them to be in because their low self-esteem is not allowing them to move on. That ignores Luke, I mean, I'll give you Ezekiel, 38, or Ezekiel 33, verse 8 and 9, and Luke 3, 7. But I'll read Luke 12, 5 for you. It says, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. So it should give us a very sober, open, clear-minded understanding of the fact that God is in control. And to think you can just live however you want to live and not have a healthy fear of an oneness of the the. the in the wonder and the power of our Heavenly Father, you're insane. You must keep, remember, the first step of that wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord, right? You start thinking really wisely of, okay, Lord, I need your wisdom and I need to think like you because you're all wise and I don't want to go against what you are saying I need to live as a child of God. Next one is you must learn to forgive yourself. You learn to forgive yourself in order to find peace and fulfillment in your life. And if you do not forgive yourself, you cannot understand Jesus' death on the cross. That's taught in churches today. Well, again, they ignore many scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Or Colossians 2, verses 8 through 14. But I'll read the one of them at John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you, have, you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Where do we have our peace? Peace comes from the God of peace himself. <laughs> the world can't give you peace. Don't expect the world to give you peace. The world will never give you peace. Only peace in your life comes from God and God alone. 
And so we, it's not about we need to learn to forgive ourselves in order to find peace. No, we must be, understand we need to turn our lives over to God completely and ask for forgiveness. <laughs> and when we do, we get bored again experience, and then you will experience God's peace himself filling you up with his peace that will go beyond your own understanding even in the situation you find yourself in. Another one is God wants us all to feel good about ourselves. After all, Jesus possessed the greatest self-esteem in the history of mankind. Jesus is the perfect example who possessed the greatest self-esteem, and so we must also want to be there and to feel good about ourselves. Well, if you go back and look at Philippians 2, Verses 3 through 8 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. (laughs) Right there. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. It's not about your self-esteem. It's supposed to be focused on others and and helping them with their self-esteem and encouraging them in the faith. Helping them to, to learn and grow and mature in the faith. It's called discipleship that we're talking about here. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, because that's very natural for, to look as, for us to look out for our own interests, but, it, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider in robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking a form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So this teaching that says Jesus possessed the greatest self-esteem in history of mankind, and they say oh you must build yourself up just like that and feel good about yourself after all well if you study the life of Jesus he humbled himself and became a slave and he came to to serve and not to be served became a form of a bond servant a form of a likeness of men he left heaven For you. And he was obedient to what his heavenly father called him to do. That's where our focus needs to be. As a surrendered life, a humbled life, serving others. What's God's view? God's view, here's some scriptures for you to understand and read through. And this is what we'll finish up with tonight. God's view is when pride comes, then comes shame. Proverbs 11.2. When you are so prideful about who you are and what you want to be and those things, it can become to a point where you, you, there's a pride that will set in and that comes, there comes shame. There's a dishonor that will come with that pride. We see that in Proverbs 11.2. Then there's a way which seems right to man, but it ends in the way of death. We see that in Proverbs 14.12. Man really wants to pump up in themselves and think they're wiser than they really are, and they start really focusing on what seems right in man's eyes, but it will end in the way of death. Another one is if you have been foolish in exalting yourself... Put your hand on your mouth. <laughs> if you have a challenge with self-exaltation, you need to start putting your, your hand over your mouth. 
We see that in Proverbs 30, verse 32. In Isaiah 5, verses 20 and 21, it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Scripture is very clear to us that we better be very careful of how your view is of yourself and, uh, and how clever you think you are to think you can just do it your way <laughs> and not think you're going to be accountable to what God has according to his word. Matthew 23, 12 says, Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. You will be humbled if you find yourself exalting yourself in self-exaltation and, uh, and, and trying to make yourself more than you really are. You will be humbled. It's only a matter of time. Luke 9.24 says, For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. Then we see 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 20 says, Where is, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debtor of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Then we jump down to verse 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weaknesses of God is stronger than men. Then we jump down to verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 1. It says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. So you can clearly see in the scriptures how God sees people who think they're strong and mighty and got it all together and they're wealthy and wise and, and good looking. And they, of course, I've got it all together. I, I, I'm, my self-esteem is very high. But the scripture says here very clearly who God uses. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 said, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. For men will be lovers of self. And then we see there in verse 6 and 7, he gives a little bit more of, of, a, of an understanding. It says, Led on by various impulses and always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so many times we find that even in Christian circles, certainly in worldly circles, that because they went to college, because they've got their degree and double degree and triple degree and whatever you want to initials after their names, somehow all this knowledge makes you wise and smart and more intelligent than the most, the average Person. Become an intellect in a way that becomes very self-exaltating. And we have to be very careful that even in the Christian circles, oh, I, where did you go to uh, uh, get your training as a pastor? What school? What was the name? What's the, what's the, who's your mentor? And all these little subtleness that can be signs of, of self-exaltation in one's life, thinking their knowledge because they went uh, to away to Bible college, that somehow they have arrived. <laughs> oh, how contrary that statement is because of what is being taught in Bibles, 
schools today that are contrary to the word of God. But at the end times, certainly we know in the scriptures, people will become lovers of self. James 4, 6 says, but he, he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it is, is, is said, God is opposed to the proud. How important we do not become prideful people. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them bringing swift destruction upon themselves, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So we know that in end times and the things that we're seeing, even in the church uh, circles, that we have to be very careful of these heresies, these false teachings that's taking the scriptures and turning it to this humanistic kind of viewpoint, this psychobabble kind of talk thing, because it's a ma it's worldly and natural way of thinking, and they're introducing it into the, into the church, into their teachings. And we've got to be very careful. We need to know the scripture and exactly how God gives us that scripture and not to twist it in, to, in any way to, to be able to uh, justify their emotions or justify their positions to why they're in the positions they find themselves in. And lastly, in 1 John 2.16, for all that is in the world, the boastful pride of life is certainly not from the Father, but is from the world. Any boasting, any self-exaltation, or any view of pendulum swings to the left or to the right that we find ourselves in from self-belittlement to self-pity, we must be very, very, very careful in our viewpoint of, of how we see ourselves. And that's why the scripture, and we've talked about this even back in, back in probably, I think it's around step number, you know, 10, 11, 12, there we were talking about self. We've got to be very careful to when we're sitting down and self-examining our life and the issues that we're dealing with in our life, if we find and identify ourselves being belittling ourselves and our language and our actions toward people or self-pity or self-exaltation, we must take note of that. And we must come back to the scriptures that we talked about tonight and what the Lord shows you in the scriptures. And you must move on from that. You must mature from that. If you don't, you're going to continue to spiral out of control and your, your Christian life is going to be absolutely miserable. And what happens is you'll affect everyone around you and your fellowship of that because of that. And you're already experiencing. I know you're already experiencing it. If you're living that life right now, you know it's miserable and you're experiencing it and you don't know how to get out of it. I'm just encouraging you tonight to spend some time in the scriptures that I've given you. Spend some time with the Lord. Be in prayer to help you, to encourage you. And get around people who are going to encourage you the right way by encouraging you to be in the scriptures and, and, and praying for you and with you to move on from those positions you find yourself in. They're unhealthy they're not good for you, and they're certainly not good for those who are around you that uh, you fellowship with. Next week, Lord willing, as we will be in our new place, we're going to take on the, the uh, other 
um, four more, even more difficult subject matters to deal with, and that is the envy and jealousy and covetousness and greed that can many times grab a hold of people um, before they're saved and they just haven't been able to let go of those things as they become a Christian and growing and maturing. It's just a struggle for them. So next week we'll tackle the scriptures around those four subjects because it continues to show the person who's in envy or jealousy or covetousness or greed and sometimes they can just pop up so quickly of the old nature that it causes it just reveals how very self-focused that person is on their themselves versus on what God has for them and what he would like them to do so let's uh, close here for the, this evening on that subject we'll pick back up um, next week